Everybody bring it in once again. The read option is back Two pods back half of the week, but we are alive. Well and ripping. And this week, though, it's been a couple weeks since you we have Vito on the pod. Luckily, my right hand man, Mr. Scotty Miller is back to help break down the final four, the surprise retirement of Roy Williams and his favorite topic opening day and MLB baseball. Oh. Scotty, my friend, how are you? What's going on, man? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, exciting time in the sports world. That's for sure. Final four is rearing. Um, I'll tell you what, man, that those games were excellent for the most part. No, they weren't. They were terrible. They were all blowouts. Yes, like, were. come on. <laughs> yes. No, uh, in the elite eight, but uh, I'm excited for the final four. It should be great basketball as, as usual. And, uh, and, uh, totally ready for the new year in the greatest sport ever invented it it is your it is your favorite time of the year opening day we're, we're getting ready it's one of those things where man opening day kicks in and i'm like i'm really excited right at first and i'm like man opening day and i spend like the first month watching a lot of baseball and then, and then i and then i, and then I stopped <laughs> yeah exactly and then it's just and then i'm like all right i'll i'll, I'll look at the box score and see how many home runs my phillies are, are knocking yeah, out check, that seems, check the inquirer yeah that's that's <laughs> all that box. matters man that's all that matters <laughs> nowadays in baseball home runs and strikeouts but we'll get into all of that uh we're gonna give a full in-depth preview as obviously today is opening day by the time you're listening to this Opening day will have been yesterday, though, with the weather that's going around the country, I feel like half the games are getting canceled anyway, uh, as well as a little bit of a COVID oh, it's snowing scare. in Detroit right now. It's it's like Inactive. snowing in parts. Of, I mean, I woke up for work this morning and it was I, I, I like to sleep in the cold. I don't know about you. So like I'm, I'm someone I like it cold, I like to bundle up. Right. And yeah. get blankets or whatever on. And so I open up my my windows when I sleep. And the last like week has been nice. It's been like no lower than like. 55 degrees so i've had my windows open even like even more so had the fan blown and everything and man i woke up this morning and it's like 38 degrees outside and raining and i was fucking cold as hell it's like it's rude right it's oppressively it's rude it was it was an absolute shock to the system especially at like 4 30 in the morning when i have to wake up on but april 1st yeah on a, yeah right you know nate mother nature pulling in a a, a, an april <laughs> fool's joke on us uh but look scotty i, I do want to i don't want to bury the lead too much because again we're going to have the rest of the pod here to to dive into all the baseball stuff there's lots of shit to talk about and previewing the season we're going to talk a little bit of long-term futures gambling all that good stuff we're going to give a legit preview here as well you're more locked into the mlb than i am so i'm excited to learn a few more things as well though we both are ball players and that's that's a big part of our history so we're it's going to be a lot of fun to get a chance to talk some ball but i do want to start with the breaking news that came out this morning which is a surprise retirement in the world of college basketball. Roy Williams retiring at age 70. He's been at North Carolina since 2003. Soft golf clap. Absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite personalities in college basketball. And it's look, it's one of those things where you're like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy. He's achieved a ton in his career and, and we'll dive into that here. But 
you know, it, it's just kind of sad, you know, he's, he's a fixture in college basketball in my lifetime growing up, your lifetime growing up. Uh, he's got one of the best accents in college sports, like maybe just sports in general, his, his Southern twang, Ooh, yeah. you know, there's so Ooh, much I'd to, like love. to do that top five. <laughs> you know what? Maybe, maybe we'll end the pod with that today. We'll go through and rank our top five favorite sports accents. Um, but just right off the dome here, my man, Tell me what is the first memory you have when you think of Roy Williams? I just like uh, watching those Kansas teams, even um, that's, you know, when I started to get into, uh, into college basketball um, in the late nineties, <clears throat> I had uh, March Madness 98 on PlayStation one was one of my first video games. Antoine Jameson was on the cover who played for oh, UNC. Um, but man, um, I loved the, the, tradition of college basketball i'm a penn state guy we're not very good at basketball that's just a fact um so i I tried to adopt like these these teams that that were actually like blue bloods in college basketball the same way that kind of penn state is in football and so kansas attracted me i love the the way that roy williams uh played his squad they won in what 90 94 95 something like that Mm -hmm. um in the uh 91 and 93 they made the final four yeah yeah, final four. Um, but yeah, I just love the way he coached. I loved his accent too. That was that was great. Uh, and I and I love the pageantry of Rock Chalk Jayhawk KU. Um, and and yeah, just to to watch him coach was was a joy because the way the stuff he got out of his players was elite every day. Um, and then when he went to North Carolina, which was another of my basketball schools that that I enjoyed. Um, shout out to my one of my best friends, Terry. Um, who went to UNC um, really loved watching him get to go home and, uh, and coach the the Tar Heels, especially after he was an assistant coach there when, uh, when MJ was there in 82. Um, but yeah, man, uh, great, great coach um, and great mentor clearly. And, uh, and, and great basketball mind. Yeah. I, you know, and, and he saying he got to go home is a perfect way of putting it. I mean, the guy was born in Marion, North Carolina, right. He coached high school basketball from 73 to 78 in North Carolina, then was an assistant for 10 years from 78 to 88 before he gets a Kansas job taking over for Larry Brown. Right. So this is a guy from 1988 to 2003, like everything he did, because once he finished from Kansas, there were always these rumors. He, there was a famous press conference after they lost in the tournament saying, I'm not even thinking about North Carolina. And then the next day he signs on to be the head coach there. And outside of that, he's a hard guy to put a fault to, right? He, he did everything the right way. He's done everything the way that, you know, you can't ask for anything more than that. Because nowadays, when a coach wants to go home, he's going to go home whenever he wants. He's not going to yeah. do the – now, look, obviously Roy wasn't going to go there until Dean Smith retired. So part of it was maybe the, uh, the options weren't necessarily there and you're running a blue blood in Kansas and you're getting an opportunity to – to make final four runs with, you know, rock chalk Jayhawk, but to do it the way that he did with the class that he, he just constantly, you know, exuded class. That's who this guy was. And, and that Southern charm, like this guy could have run for governor in the state of North Carolina. And well, maybe it'd be tough with the Duke UNC rivalry, but he's just an overwhelmingly likable guy. And for all the Duke fans out there, it's hard pressed to say you don't like them. It really is, especially over the last decade, right? They lose on arguably like the, 
the most heartbreaking loss in the national championship that any team has ever had in the Chris Jenkins shot against Villanova in 2016 for any other school, for any other program, that's devastating for those seniors and the juniors who then came back, right? The guys like Marcus page who hit that unbelievable shot just to even tie the game before Chris Jenkins ends it, you know, for all of those guys, that was as devastating as it could be. And there are very few coaches in the world, NBA or college basketball who could rally the troops after that. And then in the very next year, not only make a run back to the final four, back to the national championship, but to win the damn thing. It it speaks volumes of the kind of guy he is, the character that he has. Uh, And, you know, growing up, I was a Villanova fan. I still am. But I didn't like Duke or North Carolina, right? Everyone always said, well, you have to pick one. I didn't like either. I I didn't like Duke. I didn't like North Carolina. I just didn't want to be a part of the rivalry. It didn't mean anything to me. I understood the significance. I understood why people cared about it. But for me, it just didn't mean anything. And as I've gotten older, I've grown to appreciate what Coach K has done, despite, look, there's plenty of things we can knock Coach K for. It's harder to find those things for for Roy Williams. You know, there was a couple of scandals here and there, but that's also kind of where college basketball is. And, and it's it's almost like, in a lot of ways, kind of like the steroid era. Like, there's no way to know for sure if, you know, the Jim Tomey's or I don't want to say Griffey because Griffey was just an, a, one of the best to ever do it. But everyone in that era, unfortunately, has a question mark next to their name because of it. And I think college basketball, especially the last 25, even 30 years, going back to like the Fab Five, this stuff has existed around it for a long time. So I don't necessarily hold it against him. He's an all-time great. Uh, You hear constant stories about how beloved he is by his players, by the guys who played for him, surrounding coaches. And I just will forever have the utmost respect and Look, college basketball is going to be a different place for him. And, you know, you can just run through his accomplishments, right? Three national titles in 05, 09, and 2017. He made nine Final Fours. Nine. Jesus. Think about creating 91, 93, 02, 03, 05, 08, 09, 2016, 2017. He did it across 30 years. I mean, we're talking about rarefied air in terms of all-time greats in the sport. You know, Larry Brown was an awesome college coach. He doesn't hold a candle to the resume that Roy Williams has. And because of his contemporary, Coach K, who also has coached for eight years, has been a head coach for eight years longer. And Coach K has done remarkable things, but it's almost like the Nadal and Federer thing or the Ronaldo and Messi, right? If the one didn't have the other, we would view them in a totally other light, but it's because they, they were at the same time, they were contemporaries that we kind of group them in. And, and I just think it's important that we take a moment to say, wow, this is an all time. Great. He's had a remarkable run and, you know, wish him all the best in retirement. And obviously he'll be around the program, but like you alluded to too, like seeing him in the last dance, it was amazing. It was awesome hearing those stories about Michael Jordan from him. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, 900 wins is not easy to do in college basketball, even in, in terms of sheer volume of 30 years, like that's not, a, an easy thing to do by any means um and then you consider the players that that he's coached up right over the years look at the guys in the nba that are that are, are having great success great success um but man like ju- he's a fixture it's, it's like 
it's like losing something. You're right, Jeff. Like, you know, something's as steady as that set it, forget it is, is Roy Williams being on the sideline for the Tar Heels. Um, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be weird next year to, to watch that North Carolina bench without him on it. But, uh, and how you know, much do you him. think, how much do you think Chris Beard regrets signing with Texas today? Cause that was the other big news. <laughs> Texas found <laughs> oh, yeah. their head coach. And if you're Chris Beard, now he's going to have the stink on him of staying in conference, going from Texas tech to Texas, yeah. same state, same conference, Texas tech fans are going to hate him now, despite the fact that he took them to a national championship just two years ago. I'm, I'm amazed at that move. And he had just held out one more day, one more day. Honestly, if he had just held out another like four hours, yeah, Chris Beard might be the next head coach at UNC because there's a legitimate argument that UNC is the best program to run, to be a go be a head coach at in college basketball. Oh yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, think about the tradition that they have. Number one, number two, you get to live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Or Chapel Hill, sorry, Duke is where oh, Raleigh this... is. Ooh, sorry, sorry, Heels fans. Oh boy. Well, um, Raleigh is where NC State is. Oh gosh, wow, I'm messing all, up all the ACC. They're all it's the Tobacco <laughs> Road, man. They're all in that little like five mile radius right there. But hey, man, I'd love to live in Raleigh. I've been, I've been keeping my eye out for Raleigh. Your boy might be making a move <laughs> down to that area sometime soon. But uh, congrats- good, go cover UNC for us. <laughs> Yeah, I'll go. I'll go get the inside scoop on who who the next head coach is going to be. Um, <laughs> but a remarkable career, and you said it, man. Well it's going to be it's going to be weird next year. And also, is there a better color scheme in college sports? I don't know, man. When they uh, when they rip out uh, the uh, yeah, well when they when they rip out the uh, what's that like the you know what I'm talking the it's not plaid, it's that design. Oh, the argyle. Yeah, the argyle. Thank you. Yeah, when they yeah. whip out the anything argyle, if you can pull that shit off, you know you got you got something classy, something dope going on. And uh, look, a young head coach is is gonna make a mark there, hopefully. But you're replacing a legend, so it is definitely no small feat. All right, from old hat and and history of college basketball and a figure like that, we touched briefly. Chris Beard gonna be the next head coach at Texas. I love Chris Beard. I'm very curious to see how it's going to turn out, obviously staying in state and switching schools like that. Uh, and look, Texas to me is probably the hardest place to be successful in all of college sports because their donors, their, their backers, their, their board of regions, everyone involved with the University of Texas makes working there a living hell. And it's, it's crazy to me. I was actually talking about this uh, yesterday with Danny Cannell and Greg McElroy. We were, we were name dropped there, I know. Um, but we were talking about Yeesh. how hard is it to be successful at Texas in, in either sport. And I think there's a legitimate argument that that is the hardest sport to be successful in, in or it's hardest school to be successful in out of any program in college sports, especially on the football side. And it makes you appreciate Ties North Carolina right now the job that Mac Brown has did when he was there for you know 15 years, taking them, winning a national title in that epic game in 2004, 2005 against USC, uh, one of the greatest Rose Bowls of all time, hands down. So uh, good luck to Chris Beard. I like Chris Beard a lot. I think he's got the edge to him. I don't think he's going to deal with that bullshit, and I hope he doesn't because frankly, the the assholes who basically fund all of Texas they need to be put in their place a little bit. But 
digressing a little too far here because I do want to preview the final four. I touched on it on the pod uh, earlier in the week. The four, I recapped the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, as you alluded to. Not a whole lot going on. A couple of really good games, right? Arkansas Oral Roberts, that was a really fun game. The UCLA mm. all, uh, Alabama game was really fun. But I mean, Houston. For who? I had Alabama in the final four. Wasn't, I mean, it wasn't fun for either of us. Nobody saw UCLA <laughs> coming here. And Scott, I know you, you've been working on a, a slow cooker of some crow that you need me to eat. So I'll, I'll give you the floor and uh, go ahead and, and, and put me in my place, my friend. Yeah, I believe a couple weeks ago when this tournament started and we did our initial bracket, um, there was a couple of play-in teams who you called, both 11 seeds, called softer than baby shit. I did say that. If yes. I if I do recall, one of those was Syracuse who made the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. The other, UCLA. Yeah. Softer than baby shit to the I final did. four? I did say that. Yeah. How about so, that? How about them so, Bruins? So Mick Cronin is a tough, hard-nosed coach. And I, I've been a Mick Cronin fan, and I was so disappointed with after their heart, uh, hot start this year that they really fell off towards the end of the season. I didn't think they would make a run. I, I didn't even think they'd make the beat Michigan State to even make the field of well, 64. J- nobody saw the Pac-12 doing this. I remember in our, our tournament preview as we were leading up to it during conference championship week, I was like four pack. Joe Lenardi had four Pac-12 teams in the tournament. And I was like, that seems high. Yeah. Um, and they've the Pac-12 has proven us all wrong, apparently. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a notorious Pac-12 hater, um, and that's mostly due to my family, who's out on the West Coast and are big tw- Pac-12 people. Um, and just, I mean, the, come on. All the, all the Pac-12 does is talk, and, and they, they shut us all up. Well, the Pac-12, the, the East Coast bias thing is, is, is completely real, right? Oh yeah, the, the majority of East Coast I'm stay viewers up until midnight to watch a Pac-12 basketball. Exactly, game and it's just, but it's the same thing in football. I don't care. It's yeah. the same thing well, in football. Yeah, exactly. You and I have had this debate before off air. Like the difference between Pac-12 football and Big Ten football in terms of talent level is not as far as you know you would like to think, or as many other people yeah. would like to think. No, I agree, and that's because for us being East Coast people, like growing, you know, I grew up out here. I didn't watch a whole lot of Pac-12 sports. I always liked Oregon. Obviously, the USC teams in the early 2000s were always electric. Yeah, you go back to the Reggie Bush era. But, like, UCLA football doesn't really do do much. Arizona State never really did. Like, you can just go through the list and no teams out there outside of Washington. And even still, every Pac-12 team that's made the college football playoff, with the exception of the Mariota-Oregon team, got worked in the semifinals. So it's not necessarily misplaced. It's just very surface level right like there's not a whole lot of in-depth conversation going on from east coast fans it's it's honestly the reason why McCaffrey didn't win a Heisman right McCaffrey if he played at Alabama if he played at Clemson or if he played anywhere else Bryce Love too I mean I don't think same thing he was in the conversation yeah yeah and he was and both of them were finalists at, at one point in time but the east coast bias is real when it comes to the Pac-12 and and no one thought that we would see the, the like you said that the success that the Pac-12 has had in this entire tournament. None of us thought that that was realistic. So all credit to them. The Oregon State run, you know, I'm not. It's not fluky. Like they they won all the games they were supposed to win. They beat Tennessee, and I remember even so when we were going through the first yeah. round, I liked that upset. I yeah, I called, 
Oregon State beating Tennessee, I didn't think they'd be able to handle Cade Cunningham. I didn't think they'd be able to beat Loyola Chicago. Definitely and not Loyola. They made a, a good effort against Houston, which brings me to the next thing that I deserve to eat crow about, <laughs> which was just this time last week, you and I were debating, and I said, there's no way Houston's getting to the Final Four. But because I said that, it's going to happen, and I'm going to have to eat shit next week. So <laughs> go ahead, Scott. And you loved this Houston team all along. No, I, They're sitting pretty in the Final Four getting ready to take on Baylor. You're good. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. You'll get a mullet on that. So uh, I, I, I do, though. I love this Houston team. I was, I was telling you before that we, when we were doing our initial bracket picks and you said how high I was on them. Um, it's, a, it's a professional caliber team as Gonzaga is, as uh, Baylor, I think, is. Um, as I, I'll even throw Michigan in that mix. Um, but they play the game on both sides of the ball. They spread the floor. They can score at will with reckless abandon. And, and that's, I think, the common denominator among all, at least three of the four teams in the, in the final four. Um, I wouldn't throw UCLA in that mix. I think they're just on a heater. Um, yeah, which would have been nice in March for me to be on a heater, but yeah, mm-hmm. this Houston team is is great. Uh, I mean, really, really solid up and down the lineup. They've got depth; they can score at will. Um, you know, I, it's, it, it, the thing about I this Houston team. I mean, the thing about this Houston team, though, Scott, is the ability for them to play defense. They, the, you know, they missed forty two shots in their Elite Eight game. Forty two missed field goals, and they won the game right? That, that is so rare in basketball. And I said it quickly on the show earlier this week, but like if you miss 42 shots in a basketball game, that is insane. Like you at that point really should not have won whatever game that you are participating in, but they crashed. That's what I mean by professional team, right? They, they play like any NBA team now is going to play the odds, right? You're going to take how many threes a game you're going to, you're going to shoot 35 to 40% but you're going to win because you're scoring an extra. But what I would on push back on with that idea, because you're, you're not wrong on it. They, they, they do shoot a lot of threes. They don't shoot them necessarily efficiently, but it's the job that they do on the glass. I mean, they out rebound everybody. Oh, they, yeah. they play like, like a tough, it's almost like if army like made a run towards the college football playoff, right? Like they play like an old school style mixed with modern analytics. And that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about them is because they, they're tough-nosed and gritty. Their coach has been around for a long time. Coach has been, has been coaching like, literally all the way back since the like early 70s, right? Like we, We're talking about guys who've been yeah, around. Kelton Sampson. Kelton mm-hmm. Sampson. Been around for a long time. He took. He was a part of the staff when Indiana went undefeated. Like this guy's been around. He coached at Oklahoma with Blake Griffin when they made that run. Absolutely. He's been at Indiana. He's been at uh, Oklahoma. He's been at top level programs and he's got this old school. And I think one of the the things that people got frustrated with him when he was at Oklahoma before Lon Kruger came in, it was his inability to adapt to modern basketball. And what he's proven with this Houston team is that he's willing to adapt to a certain extent, but the core values of the team still have to be tough defense offensive rebounding defensive rebounding dominating the glass pure fundamentals giving your team as many opportunities 
to score as possible. And they got some big dudes who can work down in the post too. Like, I don't think they really have much of a chance against Baylor because I just, I, that's how highly I think of Baylor. Yeah. This game is going to be good. Well then let's, let's get into it then. So let's start with that game right there. Baylor versus Houston early leaning. Which way are you feeling? I always say defense wins championships. I'm not the only one that says that, but I do say that. Um, did it's you come up with un- that? Is that, is that new? I, yeah, I came up with that straight from the old dome right here in, uh, right in Scouts Brain. Defense yep. wins. I've never heard that. So That's... I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I think Baylor's gonna win just because their defense is better, um, and they've played consistently better defense throughout the entire tournament. Um, you know, Davion Mitchell and uh, and there's like three other guys that just swarm the ball. Um, Butler. Oh yeah, Butler and uh, and who's the other? Oh Jesus, oh, the worst time. It's so it's so me. well, it's so hard, dude. Like, there's so many names that people like try to Pain. remember and Payne, yes. Like, and we should be better. It's like, and I do this all the time. So just for people listening, like when I say, "Oh, what's his name?" or like Tiger Campbell, like I completely forgot his last name yesterday when I was recording. And I get it. Like, feel free to cut us, like, give us some shit for it. But at the same time, like, it's hard to remember all these people's first and last name, especially in the tournament when you learn about 30 to 40 new names just from teams yeah. that you didn't get a chance Jim to Nance. really watch. Yeah, right. Jeez. It gives yeah. you a better appreciation for Jim Nance, who doesn't do anything related to college basketball until the tournament starts. Jim Nance, uh, University of Houston alum, calling the game on Saturday. So that's pretty exciting. Is he um, really? Yeah. Y'all have big I didn't time. Know He's that. a big Cougars fan. Uh, so that's cool that he's going to get to broadcast. I think the defense, though, uh, wins the day because Baylor can not only can they outplay you on defense with just those three guys and those three alone, but they can outscore you at any given time. I, I, the first f- five minutes of that game, uh, their their elite eight matchup against Arkansas I was like, oh, this is over. Like they're going to win because yeah. <laughs> they were scoring everything. At will, it's just, and Houston does that too against their opponents. But their defense, I don't think, is as good. Baylor spreads the floor out a little bit better than Houston, um, and Scotty Drew's due at his hometown in Indianapolis. Give me the Bears. Yeah, you know, I I, I tend to lean with you on this one. I, I look at Houston, despite the fact that they they averaged far more points per game than I think people even realize when it comes to what they averaged like throughout the regular season, they have not really shown that in the tournament, right? Like even going back to the Rutgers game, right? They won 63 to 60 in a game that they probably shouldn't have won. The fear for me with Houston is that if they get behind early, I don't know how they get back into it because Baylor is so explosive on so many different levels. And I, I look at the, you know, we're talking about at least two, potentially even three legitimate NBA players on this Baylor team. Uh, I, I think their, their coach, Scott Drew, has done a phenomenal job when it comes to just being like, – he's one of those guys who does such a great job of understanding the temperature of his team, right? Like keeping a pulse, knowing when he – because he's such a nice guy. Like that's the thing that people say about him all the time is he's such a sweetheart with the media, with other people. He's got like – if you knows, he's got like the, the kindest eyes – of anyone I've ever seen, like not trying to be weird about it, but like that dude, like you look at him, you're like, I just want to like, I want that guy to tell me like one of my friends, like when my puppy dies, I want him to be the one that tells me about it. Like, because you know, he's better. 
Yeah, he, you know he's going to make you feel better about it at the end of the day. And on top of that, he's got a little bit of a mean streak in him when he has to get into his team's ass. I've looked at this Baylor team, and and, and I am with you here, and I'm going to take Baylor over Houston. I think Houston's had a great run. They've obviously proven me wrong despite the fact that, I mean, let's be honest, Houston hasn't had to play a single-digit seed this entire tournament. They played 15-seeded yeah. Cleveland State. 10 seeded Rutgers, 11 seeded Syracuse, and 12 seeded Oregon State to get to the final four. They have not been tested when it comes to top level teams yet, and yet they still have struggled, at least during certain points of this run. Baylor is going to be a whole nother animal for them. And yeah, they get a week to prepare to prepare. But Baylor, we had the play by play for Baylor on this week. And we the question that was asked him um, was if you were Houston. How would you go about trying to stop this Baylor team? Like, what would you like? What's the game plan? What part are you taking away first? And his answer was, and look, he's a little biased. Obviously, he's the play-by-play guy for Baylor, but he said, I don't, he literally said, I don't know. I don't know where you would begin because you take away one aspect of it, and all of a sudden Mike Mayer is hitting, you know, mid-range jumpers from the elbow in your face. You know, you take away the transition game, then they can beat you beat you from three. You know, Villanova Captain Mullet will beat you from three all day long. Absolutely. <laughs> Villanova played them better than anybody this uh, this year, yeah. arguably, with the exception of like when they lost to West Virginia right off the COVID break. And even still, that's one of the best games that we've had this season. I just think Baylor is, is going to be too much to handle. But the thing that I love about Baylor and why I would love to see Gonzaga Baylor matchup is that Baylor has played top level teams. They've beaten almost all of them with the exception of two different times when they lost to Oklahoma yeah. State in the Big 12 championship game and then when they lost to West Virginia. And even still, they beat both of those teams two other times in the regular season. So they went 2-1 and one against both of those schools. Gonzaga, obviously, is a, is a really good team, but Baylor is battle-tested. They've been down in games. They've lost games. They've had to learn. And while Gonzaga's run is unbelievable – I think that could be a difference if we're getting to a national championship game when you have two teams that are pretty evenly matched. Uh, so before we we get too ahead of ourselves, though, I think you and I are both on the same side here. Gonzaga is going to beat UCLA. But the bigger question is we have the largest spread in college and final four history here. 14 point favorites 14? <laughs> are the Gonzaga Bulldogs over the UCLA Bruins. Gonzaga is going to win the game. But does UCLA cover? That's what I'm more curious so. about. You don't think they do? No. I think they got too much no. fight in them. Because who? what's the matchup going to be down there? It's going to be Jaime Jaquez and Drew Timmy. Like, and the if the one scorer for UCLA, the guy that they've been leaning on this whole time, with the exception of Johnny Juzang, the one guy they've been leaning on this whole time, Jaime, Jaime Jaquez, is getting – beaten up down low by by Timmy. I, I don't see it. I don't see them covering, I, I, like, at all. I, unless Hawkes can find – unless – and Mick Cronin's great at this, by the way. Find a way to get Hawkes out on the perimeter because that's where Timmy's weakness is. Yeah. Right? He can't defend if you're, if you're driving the basket or trying to defend on the perimeter. Um, he can defend you down low all day long. Yeah. Um, but – I, I still don't think they cover. I mean, of course, everything I say 
it, it, so far in this tournament, do the opposite. It's just, please. Dude, so. that's everybody though, right? Like that's one <laughs> of the things about the tournament. It's amazing. The, the tournament is like, is like the ex-girlfriend that you had who like makes you feel bad about yourself, but you just keep going you're, back. You're filling out your bracket like, I hate you, but I still love you. <laughs> and yet every year we come back and it reminds <laughs> us, like, oh, but the upsets, oh, maybe, maybe this is the time that it's the perfect bracket, even though it's a one in 1.7 trillion chance that someone's yeah. actually going to get a perfect bracket. You're dead to me, Gauchos. Get out of here, UCSB. You're dead to me. No, that's on you. You need to wear well, that five forever. upset. That yeah. you need you need I, to you wear that. You need to wear that. You didn't hedge when you went seven for seven on a nine leg parlay. I don't want to hear it. But yeah, I, look. Me. I mean, the point you're making here with Gonzaga and UCLA are are spot on. The one thing I'll add is just UCLA is big and tougher than we think. And oh yeah, that while, juice ain't can play, man. He, he can. Ball. He can. But th- think about this, Scott. Right? They won fifty one to forty eight. Juzang had 28 in that game. Yeah. Juzang had 28 of their 51 points. More than 50% of their total offensive out point came from a guy who was injured. All right. Now you're talking about playing arguably one of the best college basketball teams we've seen in the last decade. And he's going to most likely get guarded up by Jalen Suggs, who's going to be a top five draft pick in the NBA this year. So I'm telling you this, this defense at Gonzaga and, and, uh, my dad had a great take while we were watching this game. My dad goes, and he's old enough to remember this. So he goes, "This watching this Gonzaga team reminds me of the way John Stockton used to play. Hmm. Right? Amazing defense, swarming the ball. Then you get down the floor, excellent vision, excellent passing, can score at will. Like, that's what this Gonzaga team is. It was a great take. I got to give my dad credit for it. I can't even take credit. That was, it was excellent. John I was like, Stockton, you know what, that's, Zags that's, era. That's unbelievable. Not yeah. a lot of people know that, by the way, that John Stockton played his college ball at Gonzaga. Yeah, that's yeah. A, it's it's a, um, it's a but yeah, un, it's a little known fact. Now, John Stockton didn't win. You know, he didn't win in in college. He didn't win in the NBA. I mean, he won a lot. Well, but he never, never won a title, and he also had to go up against Michael Jordan. So. He didn't have Mark Few as his coach. That's true. That's true. Uh, I mean, I think Gonzaga again. I think Gonzaga wins this, but also. You know, Tiger Campbell, he's been an awesome story this year. Uh, he looks like a miniature J. Cole out on the court with his – he's got the best <laughs> hair in the tournament. And here's where we're going to make the transition before we talk about the national championship game. I threw this out on Twitter. I got some interesting feedback from people. Is there – has there ever been – A, has there ever been an unlikable Gonzaga player? And B, is there anyone more unlikable than Drew Timmy? Because, God damn it, I can't stand that dude. Really? Oh, I, I love Timmy. Everything about him is dripping with this inauthentic, you know, person. He's trying because every year there's a Cameron Crutwig, right? There's a guy that we all just gravitate towards. And why do we gravitate towards him? Because it feels like this genuine guy. Like that's you look at Crutwig and you're like, that dude is awesome. I don't care what anybody says, that dude's awesome. But then you look at this. Yeah, he probably went home from that game against Illinois and had a six pack. Like that was probably growing. Exactly. Or, or at the very least, like crushed a Domino's like extra stuff, you know, cheesy bread. Right. Like, meanwhile, Drew Timmy changes his freaking beard style every two weeks so that he that way he can get a little more TV attention. And he's a great player. He's an awesome player. But God damn it. He is just so unlikable. And I and I hate that because everyone who's ever played 
for Gonzaga has been likable. Some people came at me with Adam Morrison. I thought Adam Morrison was awesome. He had the long hair, the crappy mustache. Dude was wet from three. And seeing him collapse onto the floor and the emotion that he felt, everything about him felt authentic. Nothing about this dude, Timmy, feels authentic. Nothing. When Kisper is more likable than you and he's like golden boy with the pretty blue eyes and the headband and just buries threes, like that dude is so much more likable than Drew Timmy. And that's setting the bar pretty damn low. I love Timmy. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I just love the guy. He Stay. just exudes swag. Listen, yeah, I'm a listen. I'm a swagger. Talent. You don't what need about, to talk to me about vanity. Handle, how is a handlebar mustache swagger? Oh, dude, can you grow one? Yes, you can. But I can. So <laughs> there are pictures of me with so it, I was, and I looked ridiculous. Uh, yeah, because I was trying yeah. to be cool and funny. True story. I was on a baseball tournament and I lost a bet and I had a full beard when I was in high school as a senior of high school. And because I lost the bet, I had to shave my beard into a handlebar mustache. And I thought it was cool. I was the one that suggested the bet because I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll try this handlebar mustache thing. See how it looks. It was terrible. And I was actively trying to be cool. It's the move you make when you're trying to get attention. Fuck that guy. But He's a sick basketball player. He's got some of the best footwork sick. I've seen, and he's probably going to win the most outstanding <coughs> player of the tournament if Gonzaga holds the, on. The, the amount of moves he has down low is astounding for a player in 2021 because you don't ver- see yeah. that post play anymore. No, and he's a very sneaky 6'8". Like, you yeah. look at him, you're like, oh, he's like 6'5". No, he's like a very sneaky 6'8". He's like, imagine if and Tyler Hansborough... Imagine if Tyler Hansborough had a handlebar mustache. How much we would hate that dude. I can't. I oh, can't I would love him. him. I can't stand him. Anyway, love him. Uh, enough Drew Timmy talk, at least ripping the kid. No, look, never. As, as you should always remember, they're just kids. <laughs> you know, they're just kids. It's okay. They're just kids. They're just, you can dislike him when he's in the NBA. <laughs> yes, exactly. Once he's getting a paycheck for it, which is a whole nother thing we talked about uh, earlier in the week. Anyway, so I think we're both on board here. Baylor Gonzaga National Championship game. I am right yeah. now. I know where Take I'm over. <laughs> yeah, very might be. I really don't want to go against Gonzaga because Gonzaga is giving off major 2018 Villanova vibes. But okay, that That's 20, fair. that 2018 Villanova team that just ripped through everybody. They played Michigan in the national championship game that year. And Michigan was not a particularly like they were a good team. It was Mo Wagner, that that team. They were good. Uh, I think they were a three seed, right? Yeah. They were a good team, but they're not what Baylor is. So I think if we get this matchup, assuming Baylor can get past Houston, I don't know. I really think that Baylor has a legitimate – because I, I see them as equal in a lot of ways, except Baylor is the more athletic team, right? I see them comparable in a lot of the things that they do. But Baylor is far and away the most athletic team. They're also they have the best defensive guards in all of college basketball. And not only do they have one, but they have two. And now you're going to pair one of those guys, if not two of them, that gives you ten fouls against someone like Jalen Suggs. They have the size underneath yeah. and the athleticism and the length to match up well against Drew Timmy and and Kisper out on the side. I don't know. I I think Baylor is a team that is built to beat Gonzaga. I view them similarly. Yeah, Baylor is just a faster and more athletic version, while Gonzaga is more of a cohesive team. I'll tell you, well, let's go both sides of the ball. Like overall defense, Baylor. Like, and it's 
it's close, but it's not close, right? Yeah. Um is a very good defensive rebounding. Team. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um rebound. Off a defensive rebounding, I'll go Gonzaga. Offensive rebounding. Ah, it's close. I still go Gonzaga. Free throw shooting. I think it's about lean Gonzaga. Split. I think it's about split on that. Yeah, one. that's that's probably the most split. Yeah, um, perimeter shooting. I probably lean Baylor unless Suggs is like on one. Again, I think Kisper. I, I think they're I think they're super close. And like when I when I say yeah. when when we're both saying this stuff, we have to understand that the margin <laughs> of difference between the two is is pretty slim. It's right. Yeah, it's almost infinitesimal in some places. You like that infinitesimal on a podcast? How about look that? At you, look at you! And you, uh, you're stealing my vocabulary, yeah. <laughs> but my my vocabulary corner right now. Um, I, uh, you're I'm welcome. Um, assuming we get this final. I, my gut would tell me to pick Baylor, but my brain is saying, "Don't overthink it. Pick the team that has not lost a game." Baylor has has only had, or sorry, Gonzaga has only had. <laughs> one game in which they didn't win by double digits. They won That's by insane. double digits in every single game, but one, but they also like, and I, I don't want to play this, this, the Gonzaga hasn't oh, played any. Game. Well, no, no, I'm not going to say that. It's just the Gonzaga hasn't played. Anybody card can only be played in a national championship setting because that's when all the marbles are on the table. That's when everything matters. And we're talking about two evenly matched up teams. And I and just, can I think, I think Baylor lose. has the edge. Uh, so, so who are you going with? I'm taking Baylor. Baylor Who's is your what final I have. choice. You're taking Baylor. Ba- Baylor is, is what I have in my bracket. I have them winning 75 to 72 over Gonzaga in the national championship. That's what I put in the morning of the tournament. I know I said it differently on the pod. Shut up haters. Uh, but I'm sticking with what my bracket says. I believe in Baylor. They've, they've won games and they've been down. They've been down at halftime. What happens, I mean, with the exception of the BYU game, what happens if Baylor's up nine at halftime? And keep in mind that Baylor is not that BYU team. I don't, I mean, Gonzaga could absolutely come back, but we just haven't seen it yet. So it's hard for me to bet on something that I haven't seen. And that is a very realistic possibility. And in the same breath, if Gonzaga is up five at half, we've seen Baylor come back against good teams all down at halftime. So I'm going with the, you know, the enemy, you know, versus the one you don't, I know that I know what I'm getting out of Baylor. I know what they can do. And I, I can just, I see the athleticism being the biggest difference between the two, because other than that, they're pretty dead even. And honestly, it might come down to who's shooting the three better that day, but I like Baylor and that's what I'm going with. I'm sticking with it. I had it from the beginning. Baylor bears. They're not hibernating. They're accelerating. Ah, sick them all their way to a national title. Scotty, agree or disagree? Who do you have cutting down the nets in just, God, four days' time? Isn't that horrible? Like, we spent all that time. Anyway, um, give me the Zags. Give me the Zags. Um, Ooh, your your West Coast you, bias is showing. Mark, I'm only wearing a Giants uniform. <laughs> the, uh, the Zags get it done. Mark Few gets it done. Um, they... They Mark View reminds me a lot of like how Steve Kerr was when those Warriors teams were. You want to go West Coast bias when those Warriors teams were on the run. Like 
they're winning 73 games and Steve Kerr's like, yeah, we got a lot to clean up, but, and you're like, what? <laughs> but again, like that talk of like having the pulse of your team, like there was a great quote yeah. from him after the game uh, where he said like, Hey, we got a lot of work to do, but we're going to celebrate this one. Yeah. You know? and, and that's the stuff that you love about Mark few is that yeah, he understands sure. the whole concept of it. And there's, there's three coaches that I have in mind when I think about, you know, my favorite college basketball coaches and, and the, the three top tier college basketball coaches in my mind, outside of like the old hats, right. And the bill selfs <laughs> and the coach K's Mark few, Tony Bennett, and Jay Wright, because they don't go out and recruit elite level guys, right? Like Jay Wright used to, after their run to the final four in 09, Jay Wright used to like, he was like, I need to go out and recruit five stars and the highest, the best tech caliber players that I possibly can go start getting one and one and done guys. And that was when Villanova had their biggest slip. And he realized yeah. he had this, you know, epiphany that like, Hey, I need you ride to ride the horse that got you there. <laughs> well, not just that. I need to get Villanova guys. Tony Bennett, I need yeah. to get Virginia guys. And Mark Few knows he has to get Gonzaga guys. And, yeah. and I love that. I would love to see Gonzaga win the national title, despite the fact that I don't like Drew Timmy. But I'll tell you and, what, how about this? How about this? If Gonzaga wins the title, I will do our next podcast with a handlebar mustache. Done. <laughs> but if Baylor well, yeah. wins the national title, then what am I getting? Well, I can't grow a handlebar mustache. As I wouldn't ask don't... for it. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What are you thinking? What are you thinking, Hafe? Eh, we'll say this. If Gonzaga loses to Baylor in the national title, so Baylor wins as, as I'm predicting, then we got a round of golf and a trip to a brewery on you. Okay, done. Done? All right. Yep. I love it. Those are our picks. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to preview, I guess at this point, maybe just talk more about because opening day is going on as we speak. But baseball is back. One of the most glorious times of the year. Or is it? It's not the same as it was a few years ago. But we'll be back here to talk about it next here on the read option. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. It is baseball season. It's a long Finally. drive deep to left field. That ball is out Get up, here. get up, get out of here and uh, go. The, the late, great Harry Callis. Uh, look, man, it is baseball season officially. Right now we got 2-2 Yankees, Blue Jays, bottom of the eighth, already starting off with a barn burner. Phillies are up one nothing over the juggernaut Atlanta Braves. Uh, but look, Scotty. There's a lot to talk about here, my man. And you are as locked in to baseball and the MLB as anyone that I know. And uh, even a little more than I am. We both have a history playing baseball. It was a massive part of both of both of our upbringings. Uh, and before we get into the tradition, the history of opening day and kind of where how far it has fallen in a lot of regards not saying that it doesn't matter that people like us we don't still love opening day but you know it's not what it was before and before we get into that there's some news and notes here on opening day alone including the fact that we forget that we are playing sports in the middle of a pandemic season right now right and right now between all of the vaccine stuff going on the weather's turning nice People are looking for reasons to go outside and travel and party and do all these wonderful things. I'm right there with them. I get why we want to do it, 
but it is still a pandemic and not everybody has a vaccine. And already we had a game, Nats and Mets postponed opening day because of COVID-19 issues. So Scotty, level of concern for this season. Obviously, I think as the season goes on, more and more players will get the vaccine. Is there any sort of concern you have in terms of playing baseball season yet again in a pandemic? No, no. I think uh, apart from the beginning of last year, uh, everybody did a pretty good job of, uh, of maintaining their the protocols that, that kept the season alive, the, as you remember, probably the Phillies and, and Marlins had a bit of a scare, uh, yes, having gotten COVID at a coffee shop in Philadelphia, um, oh, Philly, <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm not, I, my level of concern is low. I think, uh, as vaccines become more ubiquitous, uh, particularly, um, for everyone, not just for, for athletes. Um, but my, it's, my concern is low. I, I think, you know, that's, it's a product of having spent a month in Florida. Um, yeah, if I'm Florida. being candid, so like, <laughs> so, well, and, um, and not only that, I mean, again, guys are traveling, we're coming back and in 162 game season, it's okay if we miss a few games here or there. Um, yeah, it'll be well, interesting. Betting. A lot of the betting actually has a, a minimum of, of 81, how many games. Yeah. Yeah, Which I don't think we'll hit that. I mean, I'm talking more like five or six games here or there, but it will be interesting when we start talking about how does it affect, you know, final standings, right? Yeah. Yeah. This time, when we're talking about this in September, the tone might be a little bit different, but for the time being, I think it's a good thing. Now, the bigger question, I guess, here when it comes to COVID and and baseball is the fact that there are some uh, pretty reckless organizations out there letting full-blown fans into the stadiums and for the most part teams are being careful with the exception of the texas rangers and i gotta be honest fuck the texas rangers for doing this I mean, not because texas. all of that what is texas doing what it's they not even that right it's not even that to me it's this is so thinly veiled the only reason they're doing this is because they just bought a new stadium they just built a new by oh, the yeah. way the stadium got roasted because it basically looks like a warehouse it is terrible they took a beautiful ballpark that they had in arlington and then they built a giant warehouse for the rangers to play in and just because it's now they're gonna yeah and now they're just gonna load it up and they're gonna put as many people as they can in there with no concern for covid whatsoever because they need the money and this is like one of the most blatant you know and look we're not this isn't a coat we don't harp on the covid19 stuff too much but there is a line, right? There's a point of being like, and I get it. Texas opened up all their state borders and everything else. And anyone can go around. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to do fucking anything in Texas because Texas has to be different than the rest of the fucking country. But like, this is dumb. It's just flat out dumb. And it's, 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 it's irresponsible. Veiled. It's yeah, irresponsible. It's, irresp- it's, it's, it's they're putting paying for the stadium that they chose to build. That looks like shit that people have dumped on since it was built ahead of you know, potentially the people who are going there. And yeah, I get it in the state of Texas. It's legal morally. I don't understand how they can do that, but Hey, I, I don't live in I Texas. Don't either. Texas I don't is either. Not, Texas, at, man. not at full capacity for sure. And I'm excited. I I'm getting my vaccine here tomorrow. And uh, with the hope of being able to come watch my giants when they uh, travel out to Washington here in June. But if it's not safe, I'm not going to go. And I'm not going to go if there's too much capacity. Now, I know a lot of stadiums are, are hitting that 20,000 mark, which 
you know, teeters the line a little bit for me, but. But, but in a baseball go- stadium, there's enough space. Hist- at least like even in the one in DC, right? Nats park, like there's enough space where I think you can do it safely. But I feel like because for the most part, baseball stadiums are outdoors and the weather's changing. A lot of people are so exhausted from the last year, understandably. So we've yeah. all hit another level of crazy that I don't think many people thought we'd ever hit as a society. And we're all just absolutely worn out and I get it, but we can't forget that we are still in a pandemic. We can't forget that everything's just not back to normal. Now everyone should go and get a vaccine. Everyone should go. And, and, and I say, should, no one has to, and I get there people that other concerns, whatever. I'm just saying we should be, cautious at least and i'm cautiously optimistic right i believe by the time august rolls around that we can get to a point where a full stadium is not completely unrealistic but stating where we are here on april 1st in 2021 a barely a year removed from covid19 entering this country and forcing shutdowns like think about where we were a year ago right now no sports people on lockdown nowhere to go everyone's quarantining no one knows if it's safe man i used to wear rubber gloves just to go get gas in my car right because i didn't want to touch the gas handle right so we're at this point now where look the world is is getting and it's starting to open up more but in typical american fashion we're going from zero to 100 really really quickly and i think maybe just pumping the brakes a little bit and recognizing like hey if we have to watch the first three months of baseball season on tv i'm cool with that uh, COVID speaking stuff aside, of, though. Speaking of American aside, fashion, how about the national pastime? <laughs> the national pastime. You're right. Before we get into that, though, Scott, we do have another almost record-breaking contract. Francisco Lindor finally signs yeah. 10 years, $341 million to stay with the New York Mets. This might be a hot take, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like they overpaid a little bit here for Francisco Lindor. It's it's because there was an ultimatum, and you're absolutely right. Like he had this this deadline of, uh, and I was getting updates on my phone. It was like from MLB. We're within four hours of Francisco Lindor's deadline, or self self acclaimed deadline, uh, and then they they finally got the deal done. I do think they overpaid, and I think it's because of that deadline that uh, that Francisco Lindor set. So great shortstop, one of my favorite players in the league over the last 10 years by far. Like it's not even close, just the way he plays the game, the way he has fun with the game. It's a lot of what you see in some of the younger players like Tatis um, is why I love watching Lindor play. But overpaid? Probably. In New York? Probably not. So uh, it's I think it's a well, good and balance. that's part of it too, right? I mean, Steve Cohen, like Steve Cohen has 10 times the amount of money that Mark Cuban has, right? So we're talking about like not just fuck you money, we're talking about fuck you money right we're talking about like one of the richest people in america is now the owner of the new york mets and if he wants to shell out big contracts to bring guys in i get it but like serious question here what is the production difference between francisco lindor and carlos correa is there really that much of a difference oh yeah yeah i think so i think i think uh lindy's good a little bit better with the bat um in terms of average now, I mean, like he's not the power hitter Carrera an, is no, no. If you're looking at analytics, the numbers will tell you Correa is a better, uh, a better bet for that money. <clears throat> but again, 
Houston's not going to shell that money out for Correa. Like, they well, and won't. there's the stink of the Astros scandal and everything, which is deserved. Yeah, well, yeah. deserved. That. Like that's that's real. But I'm just talking about like the player himself but, before the scandal and everything broke. Even when Carrera was second, we're just going back a few years ago now. I, Carrera is a is a stud of a ball player, and I think Lindor is probably better defensively. Yeah. Oh, big time. Just, but that's I, not even I close. would rather I would rather have Carrera Carrera's uh, bat in in the lineup. I'd rather have him hitting for me than Lindor. See, see this is and this is where a little bit of bias comes in because I played shortstop, so I analyze the game like a short through the lens of a shortstop the game's changed for shortstops it's not anymore you can be the guy with the with the best glove on the field and hit 250 and you'll be in the major leagues for 15 years because that's the way that that teams work no it's not that's not the case anymore shortstops are producing at a level that i have never seen in my lifetime prior to to now and probably haven't since like Hannes Wagner for Christ's sake. I mean, um, yeah. but like, but to me again, and, and, and th- what it boils down to, to me for the contract for Lindor is the market. Baseball mm-hmm. is still for, for better or worse tied to their, their RSNs, the regional sports networks, right. More than any other, uh, other professional sport. Uh, in in the United States, at least, so for by far, yeah, by by far, and it's so what that means is that uh, playing in New York or L.A. or um, well, those are I mean those are the two big ones. Chicago, means more. Chicago it means means more. Houston's still mid. It means more than well, playing the fourth biggest market in America. It means more though than playing in in a mid mark a, a mid major market i'll yeah. call it right um so the contract for lindor might seem a little bloated if you're like me a, a giants fan who's in the middle tier of that that market um yeah. particularly bloated if you're like a marlins or a pirates fan who's a, like a small market tier tampa bay even at this point uh, a small market team um but i it makes sense to me for for new york to get that deal done Um, oh i I agree and by the way this is not me like just i like francisco lindor i think he's easily one of the top 15 to 20 position players in all of baseball i don't think he's worth that contract but to me scott i equate it very similarly to how when a quarterback hits the open market right the arbitration process in baseball makes it so difficult for players to ever hit pure free agency and even still for Lindor he had to force his way out of Cleveland with a trade so once these guys yeah, do, I could do, I could do a whole podcast on that because I have some feelings about <laughs> because about yeah that. like once once a player hits an open market you're hitting your the the market like price for a player exactly so if you get the opportunity to sign Lindor and they think Lindor is what 27 28 like He's not necessarily young, but he's in kind of like the heart of his prime. And, and again, this guy's played in a World Series. You know, he, he's been around. He's had experience. He's a great leader. He's one of the most universally liked players yeah. in baseball. I just think three – we're talking about like the fourth largest contract in MLB history for no. a guy who is probably not that level of production or return. Now, I, and I think, for a new I franchise, new fans- ownership, everything else that the Mets are going through – I think it's an awesome stability thing yeah. and you have to get that deal done. To Mets fans, it probably feels a lot like the Robbie Cano contract, which blew up in their face. Um, and so I can understand the apprehension 
trust me, Lindor's a better player than Robbie Cano. Like, well, and me. Cano was also like 33 by the time he signed. And taking steroids. Yeah. So Lindor is not going to be that. Lindor is going to be a, a staple of that team. I think he's going to be closer to David Wright than he is Robinson Cano when it comes to what his so. what his history looks like as a New York Met. Um, I hope so. But That's a good that, team out in Queens, man. With all that being said, I do want to take a turn here and and go through the NL, the AL, quickly through each kind of division. Get your take on who is the leader in the clubhouse, right? Who Who is the team in each division that we can likely see here on opening day? Who are you liking? Who do you think has a legitimate chance, not just to win the division, but maybe even make a playoff run? And let's start with the AL because the AL is, is a little weird this year, right? I don't know if there is a clear... The clear number one seems to be the Yankees, right? They've, they've spent all this money. But with the Yankees, the problem, the Achilles heel that has occurred year after year for them since they had Aaron Judge and Stanton in their lineup is that these guys don't stay healthy. They have Luke Voigt, who is the strongest man in baseball, yeah. as, as Dallas Braden likes to call him. They have a, a, a Garrett Cole. They have a really good rotation, but – Outside of the Yankees, I feel like it's kind of open season. There's a couple of teams I like, and we'll get into them. But starting with the AL East, is there any team out of that comp, out of that division, other than the Yankees, that you like? And give me some of your thoughts on the Yankees as to, well. To win the division? Just if a dark horse wild card. I mean, I think the Yankees are the prohibited favorites to win that division. So we're yeah. talking Orioles, no. Red Sox, they seem to be in a rebuilding phase. The Blue Jays have some young, good talent. And then the defending AL representatives, the Tampa Bay Rays, who also lost a lot of their, you know, top level talent from that team last year. You had, you had one job race, just beat the Dodgers in the world series. I just, you had one job anyway. Um, sorry. I'm a giants fan. I, I go off the Dodgers all day long. Yeah. A little bit. How did, could you tell? Um, no, uh, I think, Aside from the Yankees, I really think the Blue Jays can can make a run. I they got solid pitching. Uh, they've built up their minor league system. They they've got, of course, they're a team full of uh, of former major league players' sons. They got Bo Bichette, who's got some pop. They've got Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's definitely got some pop. Uh, slim down, question, Vladdy. By the way, he looks. Yeah, right. he's forty pounds lighter. Man, that he, he he's, looks good. <laughs> he he's awesome, dude. He's probably he probably has my favorite swing in baseball right now. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, and, Bellinger and Yelich are up there too. But from the righty side, man, the way that Vladdy Jr. can can swing a bat, man, it's it's tasty. Yeah, and I think I think the the Blue Jays are are a good a good pick for the wild card. I think the Rays too, honestly, for as much as they lost, they still have depth in the rotation in, in the pitching the entire pitching staff. Um the Rays they lose Blake willing, Snell, right? Yeah, to San Diego. But they they still got um I don't know, they lost Charlie Morton too, huh? To to Atlanta. Um but they, they've still got a, a collection of good young arms um that can that can take on a lot of innings and and, and get through a full season without a whole lot of injury. Uh, who's the, the, the postseason guy. So they have, you know, so they're, they're Randy ro- Rosarena. Yeah. Um, who, I mean, their uh, rotation like is lineup. still okay, right? You have Tyler glass now who might be one of the best pitchers in baseball as your ace. So you're set there. Ryan Yarsborough I, or Yarbrough. He's a nice Yarbrough. talent. But I like then, Wonder Franco, but now like- they have Michael Waka 
you know, Mike Watt, he's been around for a long time, but having a veteran there who's won a world series with the cards, having that presence there. And they brought back Chris Archer. So your top four, if Chris Archer can find a little bit of what he had before, but remember too, they play that really funky analytics driven style of baseball. And no one thought that they were going to be a top level contender last year. And they made it all the way to the world series. So I don't want to necessarily hold anything against them. It's just my expectations after you lose Blake Snell and Charlie Morton, they drop a little bit. And I think kind of deservedly. So I I look at their lineup, who's jumping out in that lineup right now that makes you think like, damn, this is a team that's really going to make another run or do they just continue to play money? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's money ball. Again, it goes back to that RSN thing. And that's how the Rays have played their entire existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Against even after Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. And, and it's still a lot of that. Now it's uh, like Toronto. I, I really like, um, I think where you is poised to have a, a, another great year with a low ERA. And then you add guys like George Springer, who I think is a legitimate MVP candidate this year, and uh, and Marcus Simeon at shortstop. And you, um, you move Vladdy over to first base. You're not ex- expecting as much from him yeah. defensively now. Bo Bichette. That, yeah. If, yeah, we're same page there. Those man. teams – those that team is, is up and down the lineup. Now, if they can shore up their bullpen a little bit, I think – they can make a bit of a run. Still don't um, love their, uh, still don't love their, their pitching staff. You know, Ryu, like he was really good when he was with the Dodgers, but he was only kind of okay with, uh, with, with Toronto last watch year. Out. Ryu, Ryu's one of my dark horse guys to, to make a Cy Young run. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. We're going to get into yeah. some of that, uh, some of the futures and some of those bets early. Tanner Rourke's the third man. I like I like Toronto too. I think, especially in, in a, AL that feels kind of wide open. I think those those wild card spots are kind of up for grabs for whoever kind of plays their way into it. Um, the yeah. Central, because I think at this point, I think we are we're in agreement here. The Yankees are the favorite to win that division by a long shot, and they have arguably the one of the best you know rosters in all of baseball. Uh, but if you go to the Central here, the White Sox are the team that jump out to me. Now the Twins made a nice push towards the end last year. The Indians are in sell mode as Cleveland sports teams tend to always be. Uh, but the Royals, since their World Series runs, have not really done a whole lot since. Yeah, I think this is the White Sox. Mode. I think this is the White Sox coming in. They've done some really good things in free agency. They've also, the thing I love about Chicago is the job that they've done in their farm system. They go out and, and there's like a new layer of farm system where you're bringing in recruits from other countries. You're signing guys when they're 15, 16 years old. Obviously, we've seen what Jose Abreu has done in right, his time yeah. in the major leagues. Am I correct in saying here that this should be the White Sox division to lose? Yeah, absolutely. They're the best bullpen, probably one of the best bullpens in baseball. <laughs> and I think probably the best in the American League. Um, they've got a great lineup in, featuring Jose Abreu. Um the only downside I can see is the fact that they lost Eloy Jimenez um, for a lot. He's out five, what was it? Five to six months with a torn left pectoral. Yeah, that was tough. Um, so that's, that's trying a to rob goal. a home run. Have you ever seen someone get hurt trying to rob a home run before? Yeah, honestly, <laughs> so, that was a, that was a weird, I, I've injury. not seen that other than like a, a legitimate, like full on whiplash crash into the wall. Um, Aaron Rowan going face first into the uh, yeah. chain links with the Phillies. That's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, love to see that. No, I, 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 I think it's their division to lose. Really, I mean, they're, they're, they're 
solid up and down the lineup. They went out and got Lance Lynn, who's great, uh, uh, almost frontline starter, I would say. Um, and, and the rest of their pitch, like I said, their bullpen is is stacked. Um, they went out and got uh, uh, Lee, well Liam Hendricks, who's who's already been there, but they got Adam Eaton too, um, as well to to shore up that probably what I would think is the fifth outfield spot, although he might see some more playing time with Eloy yeah. uh, down for the count. Um, but yeah, it's their division to lose. I don't think it's particularly close. Um, Cleveland's in rebuild mode. Kansas City's in rebuild mode. Uh, Minnesota could get frisky, but. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah, I, I, I look it's... at their, I look at the, the one team that I think can kind of rival the White Sox. Cause again, you look at that roster with the White Sox and they're loaded with home run hitters. Uh, but I, I look at this team and obviously Jimenez will, will make his way back as well. The Minnesota twins have a sneaky good roster and, and you know, Minnesota, yeah. we talk about teams and in, in cities that are cursed. Minnesota is as <laughs> cursed as any sports franchise, you know, sports city in America. Uh, Kenta Maeda as their, as their ACE, you know, give or take, he's a, they have a rotation that is just, it's just okay. It's solid, right? It's it's they have a, every single day, even down to their fourth and fifth starters. You feel pretty good about having it at the bare minimum a five hundred to maybe an eight or nine win pitcher. You know, JA Hap is their four is their fourth starter yeah. right now, and Hap has had an up and down career. Which, uh, yeah. I, I've liked to see a lot. I mean, Mike, Michael Pineda, right? You know, again, another guy with the Yankees. So another Yankee, yeah. Jose Barrios has been good behind Kent. So it's again, it's a rotation full of just solid, pretty good starters. But their roster is is kind of where I look at here, and I'm I'm impressed. Right, we've seen what uh, Sano has done uh, as their kind of star hitter there in Minnesota over the last couple of years. Miguel Sano, uh, Jorge Polanco. They also have Josh Donaldson, who had a bit of a comeback there with the Braves yeah. of late. Uh, Rain man. And uh, Andrelton Simmons has had an up and down career, but again, just a, a a nice solid role piece to have there at the shortstop positions. And then their outfield, Luisa Reza has had uh, a couple of up and down seasons, but it's just a solid team. You know, it, nothing screams it, out to you. They're probably might have one all-star depending on how well Sano hits and whether or not he can stay healthy. Uh, and then to DH for them, the guy, the ageless wonder, Nelson Cruz, who is still yeah. hitting 35 home runs a year. And especially in this modern era of baseball with everything just being kind of strikeouts versus home runs. Uh, I, I am a fan of this Minnesota t- uh, Twins roster. But uh, I think, again, I think we're in agreement here that if we're going to pick a team to come out of the AL Central, it should be the Chicago White Sox. But, you know, time will tell. And, and if Minnesota can stay healthy, obviously injuries play a big role in all of this as well. You know, I, I like what this Minnesota Twins roster can give. Yeah, me too. I, I, it's like I said, they can get frisky, but I, I get, it's it's Chicago's division to lose. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and that's, I think that's all there is to Cleveland, it Kansas Central. City, you know, Detroit. I don't think we're necessarily worried about those guys. All right, now let's go out to the AL West before we wrap up the AL here. This feels like probably the most wide open division in the AL, right? The Athletics, Chapman, they have guys who can smash the ball. Uh, the LA Angels, is this the year that Mike Trout and them boys, Shohei Otani, showing so he had, I, I think he has five home runs in like 30 at bats so far yeah. in sp- throughout spring training and he's Although pitching he's not again gonna, for them. 
he, well, he's not going to, he, he, they just uh, scratched him from his first start because of a blister, but he's still going to hit DH for him. Hey, it's better, it's better than, than Tommy John, but you just came back from, right? It's better than a shoulder blister. issue. So, I hey, pitchers these days, blisters. Yeah, right? Soft, soft as, soft as hell. Uh, and then the Houston <laughs> Astros, which look, the Astros are going to get a lot of shit this year. They got a, they were able to avoid so much because of COVID last year. And Astros are <laughs> public enemy number one in the baseball Still. world. Who do you give the lean to as of right now for the AL West? Because I have my pick, but I'm curious to hear who you think. Yeah, I think it's going to come down honestly to to late September. But I'm going to go with the with the A's. Um, really, them boys in in Oakland. Yeah, I just I, Houston's lost too much. They lost Garrett Cole. Uh, Justin Verlander's out for the year with Tommy John. Um, I like their offense. They got they got great production last year out of uh, who I believe was the rookie of the year and uh, Jordan Alvarez. Um, they mm-hmm. still got Yuli Gurriel, who's who's young. Um, if Correa and Altuve have bounced back years, that offense could be potent. I, I, ch- and they got Ryan Presley in the, in the uh, bullpen there. But other than that, I'm not really blown away by, by the Astros. They lo- they got Brantley still, but they lost, um, George Springer, who was a keystone of, of that, uh, that lineup. Absolutely. I'm not sold on the Astros, not sold. Uh, give me the ace. I like the ace. I, I think, the Angels could. This is another one. The Angels could get frisky, and maybe it is their year. And I hope so for Trout. I really do because Trout's one of the greatest players I've ever watched in my lifetime. With my, he's own the best eyes. player of our of our lifetime. He is like mm. he no he he is Think like it had to me. Like look, you're a Giants guy, so maybe you're gonna lean more with your boy Barry. And and that's not even like I'm not even saying this because of the steroid era or anything else. I genuinely believe Mike Trout is the best baseball player we've ever seen. Yeah, like in in our lifetime, for sure. In my lifetime, if he's not number one, it's a hard argument to make against every single statistic, advanced and or just generic, your basic baseball stats, which hardly get used anymore. Point to the fact that Mike Trout should be the best baseball player we've ever seen. And the fact that he's so unassuming and he's quiet, he doesn't love the spotlight and he's been playing for the second tier team in L.A., it, it I don't know, man. Mike Trout. So that is my team. I, I in this division. I you like, like the Angels. I like the Angels. I think this is the year that they finally get it done. Otani, as a hitter alone, oh, is is ridiculous, yeah. right? So you're talking. If Rendon can put up another year like he did in watch his last year in Washington, absolutely. And it's it's and weird that- seeing Albert Pujols not being a starter. Like that is abnormal as hell. But he's 42, man, <laughs> which, yeah, he's old, but he's still one of the greatest to ever do it. He's still one of the, he's still before Mike Trout was the best right-handed hitter I've ever seen in my life. And I think the leadership he can add in a clubhouse that needs it with Joe Madden now running that team out in LA, uh, you look at their outfield, right? They have a vet talk about a veteran outfield Justin Upton, Mike Trout, and Dexter Fowler. And I get that Fowler and Upton have both tailed off from where they were in their primes, but having that kind of, like, you're not going to worry about defensive issues with that outfield. Right? No. You're, you're just not. You're you have... worried about injuries though. Cause that average age in that outfield is like what? 33. <laughs> <laughs> so somewhere around that, that Mark, uh, Anthony Rendon, people forget how amazing Anthony Rendon yeah. was in He's... the world series run for the nationals just a couple of years ago. Uh, Jose Iglesias. Awesome. 
shortstop there. And then the, the big wild card is what do we get out of Otani? Is this the year that we finally mm-hmm. see the Otani that we've been waiting for? Because the one thing you can't take away from him is how effective he's been as a hitter throughout his entire tenure. Even when he was out with in rehabbing for Tommy John, he still came in and hit some for the Los Angeles Angels. Yeah. If this is the year that we get a legitimate full season two-way pitcher and hitter like Shohei Otani, I think the Angels can be really frisky, especially in, the, in an American league that still feels wide open. Because I don't know about you, Scott, but I still feel like as good as the roster is for the New York Yankees, I don't feel confident that they're going to punch their ticket. It's been, it was the first decade, the 2010s was the first decade in like 80 years that the Yankees hadn't made it to a World Series. We're going all the way oh, back no. to the 19. To, actually, it might have been 100 years because I think it was the 1910s was the last year. And like, hey, look, I'm with you. I have no sympathy, no empathy for Yankees fans, none whatsoever. All right. But the fact of the matter is I don't trust Aaron Judge and Stanton to be there when it counts. Same concerns I, I have for the Brooklyn Nets. I don't have the confidence that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden are all going to be there on the court at the same time when the season matters more than anything else. So, yeah, am I wrong? And that's why I feel like the West is almost more interest or the West. The AL is more interesting right now than the NL because the NL is, is chock full of really, really good teams with one clear cut team kind of above everybody else. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. And it's, uh again in the al west it seems like the first year in a long time that there's it's wide open like usually it's either it's the astros and if it's not the astros it's definitely the a's but this is the the closest it's been in probably oh almost 10 years that it seems pretty wide open absolutely Um, sands for the mariners but you never know man mariners have a decent pitching staff they can make it with uh you say you say i say we all say kikuchi um (laughs) out there in seattle so you never know you never it's know it's an interesting but, division uh, to keep an eye on there out in the, in, in the al west uh yep. quickly here because i i don't want to go too long on these uh but i want to make sure we give enough time for what is the best division in baseball which is the nl east but before we get there the nl central i don't know tell me are we are we, are we repping brewers like where where are we looking at here no today? no it's got to be cardinals i mean the move they made to get nolan arenado it's got to be yeah, the Cardinals. between Arenado and, and Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, that is that's a really good team. Yeah, um, that lineup is deep. Their pitching staff is always a question mark, particularly their bullpen. Um, I think Flaherty's going to have a good year. He's their their ace. Um, Carlos Martinez still there, but I like their bullpen is always always for as long as I can remember uh, in the playoffs, particularly when all those years in the in the early 2010s when the Giants were the Giants were playing a. Uh, the Cardinals in the late in the postseason, that the bullpen was always the question mark, and it's no different this year. I don't think um, really that's that's their Achilles heel. It's been for a long time. Um, if if they can shore that up and by mid July, um, they'd be in good shape. But it's uh, this to me is their division to lose. I think Milwaukee yeah. can make a run. They might be one of those uh those wild card teams. Honest to God, it, they're. Milwaukee's at plus 4,500 to win the world series. I'd take that right now. If I were you, Milwaukee's a good team. Like Milwaukee Milwaukee is a really good team. I I don't think they, I don't think they'll, I mean, 
I think the NL East, because the thing is here, here too, in, in the NL West, and we'll get there in a second, there are two of the arguably top three teams in the NL are at the top of the mm-hmm. NL West. The nah, LA kidding. Dodgers <laughs> and the San Diego Padres. Those are by far two of the top three teams in the NL, in my opinion. In that top three, I'd probably put the Braves as the third team there. The Mets kind of hanging around right on the outside of it. But the NL Central is just trash. And maybe that's an opportunity for Milwaukee to get in because there's not going to be this self-cannibalization that we're going to see in the NL East, that we're going to see in certain parts of the NL West. Uh, but that being said, I don't think on paper Milwaukee is going to be one of the top, you know, seven teams that we see no. in, and, in baseball this year. I just don't, exactly. I don't, I don't, I don't see that. The question with Milwaukee is how good the NL East can be because I think there legitimately can be three teams that come out of the NL East. It would be tough because I, well, here, let's, let's do this. Let's go NL East. Well, no, let's do the Padres and the Dodgers first, because that to me is the NL West. All right. And I know you're a Giants guy and I'm sorry that after winning three championships in six years that you guys have to deal with a rebuilding process, but no, I'm fine. I have a whole lot on that too, but yeah. But hey, I mean, with those odds, why the hell not? But no more Bruce Bochy, right? This is a totally new look San Francisco Giants team. They're going to be sellers at the deadline. Is, is Crawford still there? Yeah. Yeah, so, so he's got, you you know that both of those guys are going to be up for grabs here at the trade deadline. Uh, but this is a two-horse race. The Dodgers are fucking loaded. They won the World Series last year. It's really hard to repeat in baseball. And playoff baseball always looks completely different than regular season baseball. But just picking teams that we think have a chance to win the division and then make a run, the Dodgers have to be the number one team. Their projected win total is already over 100. That is crazy. They're the only team in all of baseball that has a projected win total over 100 wins. They're over under, I think, is set at 103 and a half right now. I would hit the over on that for the Dodgers because this L.A. Dodgers team is really good. We all know that. To me, the team that's more interesting to talk about is the San Diego Padres because they right now have two $300 guys on the left side of their infield. And Machado and Tatis, I love Tatis. The dude is electric as hell. To me, what we need to see out of him, because he's still so young, right? He still has less than 600 career plate appearances. That is very inexperienced for a guy to get a $300 million contract. But Mm -hmm. I also if I was a San Diego Padres would give that contract to Fernando Tatis because oh, yeah. he is going Without to be question. the face of baseball. I guess my concern with Tatis is does he follow a similar trajectory as a guy like Bryce Harper who Bryce Harper still a really effective baseball player. He was in the top five in MVP voting last year and deserve again, deservedly. So Harper is a stud. I'm a big Bryce Harper fan. I'm also a Phillies fan, but even bias aside, Harper is still a really, really productive player and one of the top 20 baseball players that we have as yeah. far as Harper's a little, in the weirdly field. Weirdly underrated. Yeah. yeah. He became, he was, he was over, he was, you know, up and coming guy. He then he became overhyped. overrated. Well, he yeah. wasn't overhyped. I mean, he came in and was a stud from day one, but he became overrated quickly after he won his MVP and he had a couple of down seasons. He changed his teams. The narrative kind of flipped on him. People didn't like him as much. And now it's become, oh, Bryce Harper, sneaky underrated. And I'm totally on board with you there. But the Padres and Tatis in particular, I can see a similar trajectory to him. But if you're telling me, hey, you're going to get nine years 
that replicate the first nine years of Bryce Harper's career, I'm signing up for that 10 days out of 10. Uh, yeah, I would. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about Hall of Fame numbers in your first year. Uh, Harper was over 320 or right around 320. Um, and he led every offensive stat category in the major league baseball that year. Uh, he was over hundred RBIs. He was over 30 home runs. Um, and that's the year he won the MVP. That was his best year still to date. Um, but you're right. If you, if you can get that out of one year. And I think if you're the Padres and AJ Preller, who's their GM for one year, you'd be like, you know what? Fuck the Dodgers. I'm going to go get everyone. I can win this division prove everybody wrong that the Dodgers are going to win 103 games because they're not. They got to play us 18 times. Guess what? That's 18 losses. And 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 sign and then they make these great moves. They go out and get Blake Snell on a decent contract for a top-line pitcher. They go get you Darvish who's got experience yeah. and still has some left in the tank. You Darvish I, could have been the Cy Young winner last year in the NL. I'm telling you. I with Chicago who was yeah. a terrible team last year. That's um, the reason he didn't. That's the reason he didn't get the serious consideration, but dude, it's not just that look at their roster. I mean, they get Eric Hosmer is their first baseman guy. Who's won world series before. Yeah. He, he has that experience. Will right? Myers stands out to me. I will, will Myers, Myers Tommy. So Pham. underrated, right? They have Will Myers two, is so underrated. He's a giant killer, but eh, you know, Will Myers is underrated. Tommy fam, another world series winner. You know, th- this team has a chance to be really, really good. They don't have the yeah. star power that the Dodgers have. But me, also, no one has the it's star power. It's not Hollywood, baby. It's two hours down the road. <laughs> and I think that – I mean, I don't know. I think San Diego has a chance to be a really, really good team. I love the Padres, but the Dodgers are going to win that division. The Dodgers are I'll too you talented. What, They're too as, talented. As good as – as good, of course, the Dodgers. God, I hate them. Um, as – as good as the NL East is, I thought maybe the Giants going in had an outside shot at the playoffs as well as they played at the end of the year last year. Um, and maybe that's just a little bias. I don't think so. I think they're they're no sure. a legitimate team, and they and they upgraded no sure. at 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 pitcher. I don't think as good as the NL East is this year that they, that that the Giants have a chance at the playoffs. Dude, Walker, so, go pa- I'm rooting for the Padres. Which I, I totally get that. And honestly, I will be too. Because fuck the Dodgers. But That's dude, why. Clayton Kershaw, Trevor Bauer, Walker, Walker Bueller, Julio Yeah, Trevor Urias. Bauer's dead to me. Their first four starters are all studs. I mean, yeah, and and, and Urias well, Kershaw's, is... Yeah, Kershaw's, yeah. Urias is not... of them. Well, Kershaw, look, I mean, I get why you don't like him, right? From fan, no, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. Kershaw is one of the best pitchers I've ever seen. Like, yeah. ever in yeah. my life. I, I he's like Russell Wilson to me, right? Like I hate the fact that he plays on my rival team, but damn it if I don't respect the fact that he's a great player. Yeah. Right. Well, you so have that's to. Kershaw to me. But of that group, Kershaw's the Kershaw's the least left in the tank pitcher. First of all, he's the oldest, but I think he's the worst pitcher of all that group. Except I mean, for I I still I still think Kershaw is better than both of them. I agree. He probably has the least longevity left. But I still think this year Clayton Kershaw will be the best pitcher of this. Now, Trevor Bauer was unbelievable last year, but I don't know what we're going to see out of Trevor Bauer. Trevor Trevor Bauer is – he's Charlie I Day. I with he's, one eye in spring training. <laughs> Jesus. Did you it see was, that? Yeah, I did. It was, un, it was unbelievable. But Trevor Bauer is also he's, – he's Charlie Day in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Wild card, bitches. Like, 
that's how that's how he kind of operates but then take all that aside and just let's just look at the roster right will will smith is still catching for him great player max muncie great player uh, at first base gavin lux Over i any. guess he's he is probably the the biggest question mark but even their bench players still have chris taylor there as their as their bench player uh justin turner has consistently shown since he's been with the dodgers that he's a Really solid play. Corey Seager, AJ Pollock, Cody, and they're outfield, dude. AJ Pollock, Mookie. Cody Bellinger, and then Mookie Betts, who might be one of the best three individual players in all of baseball. He's paid like one, and the, the production tells you that he is. And when that is the roster you're, you're sending out there day in, day out, and then, hey, you know what? Let's give AJ Pollock a day off. Who's coming in? Oh, yeah, Chris Taylor. Hey, let's give Max Muncy a, a day off. Mm. All right, Cody Bellinger, you move down to first base, uh, and, and AJ Pollock, you move over to center field, and Chris Taylor, you're going to move into left. Every the single Dodgers are, lineup they Dodgers have are a is daily fantasy. Dangerous. Yeah, they're a daily fantasy goldmine. Hundred percent. If you do daily fantasy baseball, 100%. I would take almost any one of those guys. But I, enough. Enough. My Dodgers blood talk. is boiling. Before your head explodes, let's wrap this up here talking about the Go best Giants. division in baseball, the NL East, because yep. this, these are five teams is. that top to bottom. We can all see making the playoffs Braves, Nats, Mets, Phillies, Marlins. I think the Braves are number one. Let's do this. Rank me one through five. The way you see those teams right now, I'll rank them from my end. We'll justify the number ones on each side. And then we'll call the day after that. All right. All right. All I, right. I'm going to go. I'll start from the bottom. Bottom has got to be the Marlins. Um, they they made a great run last year. They got a whole ton of young talent, but Sixto Sanchez, who's their I think they're probably their best pitcher in their rotation, uh, got COVID at the beginning of the uh, spring training and and never kind of got back. Got a chance to get back fully into into spring training. He's starting the year in AAA actually. Um, once he comes back, different story maybe. Um, we'll see. But I think the Marlins are five in that group. Now it gets complicated. I'm going to go Nationals 4, Mets 3, Phillies 2, Braves 1. Oh, you're pretty – so it's it's interesting that you say that because that was – that is what I was going to say, but I felt like it would be too homer to pick the Phillies go and no. finish second. I really like the Phillies, man, and the Phillies are a – one really good bullpen pitcher away from being arguably one of the top four teams in the NL. But, but so are the Mets. <laughs> every team in base, not every team, but like half the teams in baseball can say that. So yeah. I understand that it's not as easy as just like saying like, oh yeah, we're all just a bullpen pitcher. Like everyone is just one really good. It's such a, it's such a commodity to have a, a stud at the back end of your bullpen. I think, I think right now the Mets have a better Definitely a better bullpen than Philadelphia, which I, I mean, look, to me Hector, makes a difference. Hector I just Naris, think Philadelphia's, I think Philadelphia's lineup is better. Hector Naris is, right now. has some electric stuff, electric stuff. The it's Mets just have Edwin Diaz on the back of the road. Like, what do you, like, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> you want to go to the Phillies also Let's added go. Archie Bradley. I don't know if that moves the needle for you. Yeah, no, I'm a little. <laughs> he's an okay, he's a good, like, I think you're right. And the, the, the rotation for the Mets is better. And that's why I can't put the Phillies at number two. I, I would have the Marlins, the Nats, the Phillies, the Mets, 
and then the Braves on top of that division. I think the Phillies have top to bottom, maybe the best Ross, like the best lineup in the NL East. The Braves have a really good lineup too, but I think, I think they're closer than people think. I mean, the, your, your first six guys yeah. are all can all like, it depends on what version of McCutcheon do we see post, you know, ACL tear. But if it's McCutcheon, DD, Bryce Harper, that's your first three. And then you have Real Mutu, Bohm, and uh, Reese Hoskins. That's a a really talented, solid – Reese Hoskins can drop 30 home runs this year. That is realistic, especially batting in the sixth slot. So you have six guys at the top of your lineup that can all go for 20-plus home runs. And in the modern era of baseball in the regular season, I think that can matter. But again, it's going to be injury. Does Reese Hoskins have a bounce back year? He, he needs it at this point. He absolutely needs it. But the starting rotation, right? You still have Nola, who is due. And I love Aaron Nola. Oh, I love that guy. Zach Wheeler. Baseball. Agreed. Zach Wheeler, former Giant, came up in the Giant system, by the way. And Zach Wheeler. To the Mets was, for Angel Pagan. No, but um, yeah. Zach Wheeler is an outside shot last year at a Cy Young. He finished in like the top yeah. six in, in voting for the Cy Young last year. So we're talking about guys between Nola and Wheeler. That's a solid top half of your rotation. But then you're relying on guys like Zach Eflin. You know, are, are we going to get the Zach Eflin that we thought? There is no uh, uh, Arietta this year, which is probably yeah. for the better. You know, he and he was nice to have on the Phillies the last couple of years. Didn't pan out the way that we thought. But the bullpen still scares me for the Phillies. And the top end of the rotation for the Mets – is still Cindergard and Jacob oh, Degrom. God, that's so good. <laughs> but the Phillies have a much better roster, so I think it, I think it could go either way. I think the Braves are number one. Mets, Phillies are will kind of be two or three, and then I think the Nats again. Look, Juan Soto might be the best player in baseball. As long and like Trey that's not, that's and and Max Scherzer. As long as you got those three guys, you're in business. Like that's not hyperbole to say that Juan Soto might be the best player in baseball. That's how no. ridiculously good Juan Soto is. No, it's and he's not. twenty. What is he? 21, 22? 20, 22, I believe. Yeah. So Juan Soto is ridiculous. And again, you have that. You still have Scherzer, but look, Scherzer's thirty-five. Scherzer's not a young pup, man. He's been around for a long time. And yes, he, he's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I've I've been lucky enough to see him pitch live, and it's jaw dropping how how awesome he is. Yeah. Isn't but it? I I don't think the I don't think they have enough in the rotation. I don't think they have enough in the roster around them. And Juan Soto could be toiling in mediocrity the way that you know Mike Trout Ryan was for a long Patrick. time. <laughs> and yes, and I thought you were going to go. I thought, you, I thought you were going to go Ryan Zimmerman. But uh, <laughs> all right, that's our that's our regular season preview. Real quick before we get out here, give me your World Series, your winner and then sprinkle on a couple of future bets here that you like for me, whether it's Cy Young, MVP, winning their division. Just give me a few of your favorites, and then, and then we'll call this one a day. All right. World Series, I'm going to go – screw it. White Sox, Padres. Let's do it. Wow. The Pods. Young talent. Again, the Padres are out – to, I don't look. I know how NL East rivalries get. NL West rivalries are heated, like heated. Uh, and and the Padres and Dodgers are no strangers to that, especially being two hours down the road from each other. Um, 
Fuck the Dodgers. Go Giants. I hate L.A. so much. Um, anyway, go Padres. I don't think the Giants are going to do much this year. Um, give me Padres, White Sox. Padres in six because they have a better pitching staff. Let's do that. Wow. That's a bold yeah. take. I'm All taking right, so- it. I am going a slightly different than you, but I'm also, I do not have the Dodgers in the world series. I have the Atlanta Braves. No. Wow. I think the, I think the Atlanta Braves are going to take on the Yankees in the world series. Yeah. I think it's the Braves year. I do. I think the Braves win probably in six games 95 repeat huh if if you look at again you look at their roster all five of their starting rotation guys i like i don't love but their actual lineup i mean travis denard at catcher freddie freeman ozzy albies uh dansby swanson marcelo suna ronald acuna jr acuna jr could be just as good as juan soto this year so this is a team that is deep and they remind me a lot of those teams we see every couple of years who get just right to the precipice, they get right to the line and they just don't make that final leap until it's their year. And I think with the passing of Henry Aaron, I think there's a little bit of, Oh, what a story. I think there's a little bit of magic in the air. I think the Braves bring it home. And of course you can't pick that. You can't pick the Yankees. I'm sorry. I love Aaron judge. Can't pick the Yankees. Sorry. So I, I no, like the Braves and that hurt, hurts me to say as a Phillies fan, but I know some Atlanta sports fans in my life and they've dealt with some stuff over the past few years, arguably the biggest Atlanta sports icon of all time passes away this year. And I think in return, they, they come back with a championship. So uh, I like yeah, the Braves like to, to, to bring home the world series trophy, but realistically it's probably going to be the Dodgers. <laughs> no, stop it. I don't like that. All right, give me a I don't future. like that negativity give in my life. Give me a future, and then we'll wrap up this pause. It's been a fun one. So, Scotty, give me three bets. Three bets that you like for this year's All right. 2021 MLB season. I'll get, I'll kind of double up on the three because NL like MVP and Cy Young yeah, are both any, leads. Yeah, a- any of that so, stuff, go for it. Three So I'll, three give, bets. You one, I'll give you one good um, a future bet to win the uh, – to win the National League and go to the World Series, to win the NL pennant, I like the Phillies at plus 1,800. Ooh. That's a sneaky little pick. Let's go fightings. Um, yeah. Um, that's a sneaky little value pick. Uh, let's see. NL. Let's go uh, AL MVP. Um, it's probably going to be Trout, but I like the sneaky pick at uh, with Matty Chapman at plus eighteen hundred, the first baseman for the A's or third baseman for the A's. I love me. that pick. Uh, plus eighteen hundred, Matt Chapman uh, to win the AL MVP. Uh, my NL sneaky pick is probably in the same ballpark, uh, not not literally the same ballpark, but um, I like Pete Alonso a plus thirty five hundred for the Mets case. How about it? Uh, that's a sneaky little the polar bear. The yeah. New York polar bear to pull in the MVP. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, look, Scott, it's been a ton of fun. I, similarly to you, and I'll touch on this quickly, opening day does not have the same luster that it did in previous years. But it's America's pastime for a reason. And anyone who grew up around the sport knows just how much it means to them when this time of year rolls around. There's nothing yep. like it. And I, I hope nothing but the best for your Giants. I don't hold much hope, 
I hope nothing but the best for my Phillies. Nor I. And I think at best we probably make the world we make the the playoffs as a wild card. But nonetheless, it's a good thing to have baseball back. It's a good thing it's, for our it country is, to have it back. You, I, it, it's it's amazing. I'll tell you what, baseball to me is it's my favorite sport of all time. There's a great quote uh, actually from um, it's from the Sporting News uh, in 1931. Great is baseball, the national tonic, the reviver of hope, and the restorer of confidence. Baseball's back, baby. Let's do this. 2021's looking up. Can't Let's think go. of a better way to end the pod. Scotty, my friend, thank you so much for joining me once again. And we will be back next week. we got plenty of stuff to talk about. We're going to recap the national championship, the final four, and we're getting closer mock to draft? getting closer to the NFL draft. we got some trades and that have now. happened since our last one, so I think we're <laughs> due to run one back with our boy Vito. So for Scotty and myself, thank you so much all for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, follow us on social media, hit us up. And tell me what you like, what you didn't like. And as I always say, just share the thing with one person. One person in your life that you think could use a little bit of extra sports love. And they can get it right here on the read option. And as always, have a wonderful weekend. We will talk to you next week. Take it easy, everybody.